0: My name is Kim Rothwell, and this is the Return to Embodiment. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Angela Grayson. Angela has worked in behavioral health services in the Delaware area since 1994. She is the president of the American Dance Movement Therapy Association and the first black woman who has served as president. Angela is the proprietor and CEO of Good Fruit Expressive Arts Counseling and Psychotherapy in Delaware. She is a licensed professional counselor and board certified dance movement therapist, and also an executive stress management coach and a licensed minister of dance. And as a clinician, she specializes in helping executives and organizations address personal and work related stress through creative means so that they can maximize their potential and avoid burnout. And in her approach, she combines humanistic, African-centered, and transpersonal psychology, which she says helps to uncover, explore, express, and heal the whole self. She also created a retreat experience called the Girlfriend Retreat, which provides a safe, transformative space for women to enhance their relationship with the women in their lives. And she is an educator. She teaches at Drexel University, and she also teaches at Wilmington University in Delaware. Angela talks about her roots and her rootedness, as well as her aspirations to lead the field of dance movement therapy in coming together and moving forward together. I'm Kim Rothwell, and I'm welcoming you to the Return to Embodiment. And I just want to say how beautiful your top is. Oh, thank you. It's really striking. It's like um, our listeners won't be able to see you, but it's got these um, circles and squares. And then the the sleeves are almost like a uh, peacock feather colors with like blue and green and yellow iridescent. So pretty.
1: Thank you so much to kind of find comfy but functional clothes these days.
0: <laughs> There's a snowstorm coming and it's really cold here so I just have this like sweater on
1: like, <laughs> just
0: trying to stay warm.
1: Yes.
0: So the way that I like to begin <clears throat> is to ask the question how is embodiment to you?
1: Mm, great great question. Um, for me I I view embodiment as sort of a manifestation um, of the spirit or the soul's desire to express and explore both internally and externally. Um, It's like acknowledging the the strength and the tenacity and resilience of both my African and Native American ancestors um, who suffered great sacrifices for me to even be In this position and have the experiences and the levels of success that I've accomplished so far. I also view it as a culminating representation of all of my experiences that kind of subconsciously choreographs my life's journey through rhythm and dance and movement and keeps me going and propels me forward.
0: Yeah. So you connect it to your ancestry and to how you are moving forward in your, in your own life.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, Without acknowledging or, or, you know, taking time to pause and be grateful for my ancestors. It's, it's almost like I achieved like the levels of success, like educationally, socially, financially on my own. And I know I, I I did not do any of that, and so I, I recognize that I am standing on the the shoulders of folks who really, you know, had a hard grind in life in order for me to be st- sitting here having this conversation with you, Ethan.
0: So your your embodiment when when the when the word comes up comes up is this sense of all those who came before you.
1: Absolutely. I'm learning more and more about, in particular, my Native American heritage because that wasn't something that my family talked about a lot, but it's very, very personal to me to want to know more about those things because I find myself engaging in, you know, rituals and different um, activities spiritually and personally that I know are uh, based in the Native American heritage, and so it's like, where do these things come from? Like I said, they weren't things that were necessarily taught, but they are things that I gravitate towards, or that gravitate towards me even. And so I don't, I don't take that lightly, and so I, I really am kind of reveling in the discovery of that part of my identity and who I am, and how that um, manifests as I show up in different places.
0: Yeah, so this sounds like the rituals that you've found have history and some of them you're discovering or have found you and have been meaningful. Could you talk about an example of one of those?
1: Absolutely. Uh, One of the things, um, probably across both the Native American and the African ancestry, is the uh, ritual of smudging. Buying, you know, the smudge bundles and and just really sitting and taking the time to not only smudge myself and kind of clear my thoughts and get grounded and centered and clear away any type of um, negativity or things that are hindering me or weighing me down, but also smudging, you know, my living environment, my space, and so that if there are, you know, spaces where maybe I, you know, Say for example, if I had a session with a client that didn't go so well, or their their energy was off, and it was throwing or my energy off, or affecting my energy in some way. so I smudged my computer because that right now, you know, that's my my work environment is my is living inside of my computer via the internet and Zoom. So I I'm very intentional about making sure that I clear the space um, that I'm I'm using. So my computer and my phone and even the, the area where I have my home office set up, making sure that I clear out the energy in there so it's refreshed and renewed and restored. And that wasn't something that I could say that I practiced 10 years ago, hmm. but it's more, more prevalent now for me. And I feel led to do that more.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you say you feel led to do that, are you describing like an embodied sensation or impulse or like is it a heart thing? It's more it's
1: more of the sensate, the body sensation. And even just like the still small voice, you know, that's in my ear it's like, okay, now let's do this. And I'm like, okay. It's like first of all, I was like, okay, what's the voice? Who is that voice? and heed the voice because you know you know working in mental health the first thing we're thinking is like okay let me check in with myself like is this cool like what's happening um but for me it's, it's more into intuition and learning to trust that that intuitive voice and that you know that spiritual component um of myself and my inner being and so it's definitely more spirit-led and intuitive and, to really kind of listen to the voice and follow. Because I find that when I don't listen to the voice and don't follow, things go horribly wrong. And I'm like, why didn't I just listen? (laughs) Why did I ignore the voice? It knew. Exactly. (laughs) 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 Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. So it's like this intuition, the spirit part that's wise, that can be a guide that you're listening to and that you're paying attention to.
1: Yes, absolutely. And like I said, the more that I spend time, even just in meditation and being intentionally quiet and, and intentionally focused and grounded and listening for those intuitive cues and prompts and journaling exactly, you know, what the message is that comes up so that I, I make sure that after I, you know, release myself from the meditation, I have record of, you know, what the instructions are, if there are instructions, or if it's, you know, instructions for the future, or even if it's a memory of something um, that I need to pay attention to, that was a life lesson that I maybe didn't get at the time, but I need to pay attention to now, because maybe something is coming up that's going to trigger that particular memory or life lesson that I need to learn,
0: Yeah. So when you spend time in quiet and in meditation, you're experiencing that guiding that helps you, whether it's integrate part of your own story, or it's something to think about for the future or to be moved towards in the future.
1: Yeah. So it's really a a beautiful process. Um, That's why I'm really big on taking the time to meditate. I know being a spiritual person, and I do attend church and, you know, those things, but I I know that my spirituality is beyond the um, space of religion and the corporation of religion, right? Because religion or church in, in and of itself is really a nonprofit organization. And so really exploring beyond the institute of the church um, where you know, I'm doing more of the Native American rituals, like smudging, or I'm, you know, meditating, because you know prayer is only one part of the conversation, it, and it's usually our petitioning or talking about or praying for something, someone, but meditation is the receiving and being open and receptive to the answer, right? If we're having a one-sided conversation, we don't really get the benefit of the wisdom of the other part of it. And that's where I think meditation comes in
0: for me. A listening process for you, listening to the other side of the conversation. Yes.
2: Yes. Mm
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, I have two directions that I really want to go with this. So you can let me know where you want to go first and then we can decide. I love that you brought up the spirituality piece because that's very clear in, um, in your bio and in your organization that you are, um, I think, sacred dance is talked about. So you're bringing um, spirituality and dance therapy and dance together in really beautiful ways. And then the other piece that I want to ask about is growing up and um, your process of coming to understand embodiment as you understand it. Do you have an inkling of where you want to go? (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah, I was going to say, we could start with growing up and then get to where I am now. So that's fine.
0: Yeah. so So you have this rich definition of embodiment that includes your present moment spirit as well as your ancestry and the history that comes before that came before you. Then I'm curious about where your awareness of embodiment began, how it was nourished as a child.
1: Great question. Um and and it's really been an evolutionary process, right, of intuitively listening, like I said, to my spirit and that still small voice, but also paying attention to my body, like what are the bodily cues that come up when I'm encountering something spiritual? Um, so when I reflect on the experiences that I've had, things that come up often is feeling out of place in this realm of existence, like in the human form, but just feeling like You know do I really belong here Um, and I first encountered this uh, thought or this idea as a child I can remember around like eight years old uh, moving between what I believe to be two different worlds I live in Delaware and I've been here probably since I was five I want to say and my family is from eastern shore of North, North Carolina but it's more like like the small country town and so every summer, my parents would send me to the country, <laughs> to my grandparents' house, and and I remember um, being in Delaware, which was considered to be more, a little bit more progressive, because it's not the country, just in terms of how people are moving around, and it's closer to Philadelphia, which is a you know, one of the larger metropolitan cities. And so I, I really felt like I was too country or laid back for my Delaware friends, but I was too city or fast paced for my North Carolina relatives. (laughs) But uh, however, like both of those experiences helped me to bridge the gap to myself spiritually. Um, And so I just remember as a child, even being more contemplative and internal and really kind of pondering what was the meaning of these experiences? What were these relationships about? You know, how did they impact me? Um, what did it, what did it, any of it mean? Um, and so I really have to say that uh, my, my grandmothers were huge, huge mentors and, and factors in my life growing up. And they taught me priceless life lessons and about just how to show up as a strong and independent thinking person. Um, who has many creative talents. And that's always been my struggles. Like, what do I focus on? Um, Just in terms of the things that I'm able to do creatively. And I remember um, probably around the same time, like eight to nine years old, my maternal grandmother was very creative. And she introduced me to creative imagination and like teaching me things like how to design and sew so my barbie doll clothes so by the time I came back home to Delaware my barbie doll house had like a whole new wardrobe that I hand sewed because my grandmother taught, taught me how to like cut out patterns and design clothes it was it was really something and um you know how she moved around creatively like she gardened and she we had like Grape trees and strawberry patches. And so she made preserves and she put in blankets. And so she's like doing all these creative things. And so I learned a lot of that from watching her. And because I'm the oldest grandchild, I had her all to myself for quite a long time before like my other cousins came along. But um, then also, my paternal grandmother was more of, um, business savvy, like she had her own business that she ran successfully for years. Like she had a daycare in her home and, you know, being in a small country town as a black woman, um, that's really kind of unheard of. And so just watching her and how she handled business and interacted with the parents of the children, how she interacted with the children, like she had a whole curriculum set up for them. They weren't there just to lay around, watch cartoons, like they had less like school lessons (laughs) that they had to get done. So they were, like, on a really tight, like, school schedule. It, she served them breakfast, lunch, and dinner. In between, they had lessons to learn. And so Because I was right along the age of some of the kids, like, the before and after school kids, I was learning with them. But just watching, you know, how she, like, effortlessly ran her business. And, like, people from all over the town and even neighboring towns brought their children there. So just seeing these examples of, you know, groundedness but also creativity uh, really helped shape who i am
0: what what an incredible what incredible stories i love it i love that you saw you got to learn how to make barbie doll clothes it's just that's just amazing like stuff you can't find in the stores
2: exactly
0: (laughs) oh and just the memories um as I hear you talking, so many of them are embodied memories, right? Like as you were talking, you were smiling and you're remembering the preserves and the sewing, like you gestured with your hands when you were doing it. It's it was it was a it was rich in that way, that creative embodied way. And then With your paternal grandmother, the memory is seeing someone who was able to run a business and be, be very, um, I got this sense as you were talking about her, like that you felt really proud of what she was doing. She was doing something a lot of people wouldn't have had the savvy to do.
1: Right. Right. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely.
0: And, you know, and, just, and that's kind of one of your interests as well, is that business realm, right? right. Coaching and supporting people in your paternal grandmother's <laughs> <her> jam. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
1: absolutely. And so just having those examples, um, like I said, were a priceless life blessings. Um, my, my maternal my, my grandmother has transitioned, but my paternal grandmother is 97 years old and, you know, she still lives alone and cooks and cleans and, you know, manages her house. <laughs> and, but my my, uh, my aunt lives right next door, so she has, you know, somebody that's checking on her. But yeah, she's still at her house and she's 97.
0: <laughs> You've got some good genes right there. <laughs> well,
1: yeah. My parents um, really encouraged my creative imagination and my business curiosity. Um, because they were constantly telling me that I can do and be anything that I wanted. Um, and I remember uh, when I told them that I wanted to become a dance movement therapist, at first they were like concerned, like, oh my goodness, are you going to be able to find a job and sustain yourself? <laughs> and, but after I kind of like told them more about it, they were like, okay, if if, if that makes you happy, then we're happy for you. So mm-hmm. Having that you know, nurturing and loving and, and support and encouragement to do something that very few people even know what it is. um, It it means a lot, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to make it, to make it work, to make it be a successful career where you have written books and you're, um, you've received a lot of recognition for your work in alternate, alternative medicine. At the beginning, let's see, when you were talking you were sharing about this experience of being in between cultures right you were not totally country but you weren't totally the urban you were somewhere in between and that cultivated within you sort of a capacity to observe or to um you didn't feel like you fit in either one but then that gave you A way of seeing both a little bit.
1: Right, right, absolutely. Um, Just having that kind of back and forth. Like I said, I spent every summer um, in North Carolina with my family. Like all of my extended family lives in North Carolina. My immediate family, um, me, my mom, and dad wound up in Delaware because my dad was in the Army and we landed here for his work. Um, And so going back and forth between the two, I definitely felt kind of. Almost not even lost in the middle, but just kind of lingering <laughs> in between those two cultures because the way of being is so dramatically different, um, just in terms of how people interact with one another and the, and the relationships that are formed, being in a more urban setting where people are really kind of focused on what they're doing and, you know, what their family members are doing versus being in a more country uh, setting where everybody in the community is family and everybody helps each other and everybody's friendly and open and speaking and making sure that, you know, the neighbor has food or groceries or they're watching each other's children and everybody's, like I said, just more of a communal mindset. So lingering in between those two and and knowing how to balance and also be aware, like, you know, there's a different type of awareness that one needs to be able to navigate in an urban setting versus being in in a more rural setting. Um, You you have the luxury in a rural setting to kind of take it all in because things are moving at a slower pace versus in an urban setting, things are like moving like all the time. And so you have to kind of be a little bit more sharp and with it to keep up or you're going to be kind of left in the dust trying to figure it out.
0: gonna miss your bus yes (laughs) (laughs) what just happened (laughs) I was standing here didn't I make it oh Um, yeah yeah so your interest in culture is something that started at a very young age that's like rural versus urban culture you had the experience of the community and sort of the deceleration the more um i'm I'm bringing in kind of like those those lob those lob on words like the Mm -hmm. the uh, multi-focused quality of the urban it seemed like you were saying you know like you could take it all in as opposed to a city that's a little bit more like if you're not at the bus stop you miss your bus (laughs) (laughs) more direct more accelerating um, maybe not as much time for um, community in this in, it, community looks different.
1: Right. D- even on, on the street that I grew up at on it here in Delaware, um, it was very, very um, diverse culturally, you know? And so that, that was my norm. Like I had friends of all different races, cultures, and backgrounds and we spent the night at each other's house. Everybody knew everybody's parents. But outside of our street, you know, and you open it up, you have to be a little bit more careful because people are not as forgiving of different cultures or, or even accepting of, of difference, whether it's cultural, racial, ability, you know, versus my experience of being in North Carolina, um, like I said, in our little country town, things were pretty, pretty more black and white.
0: Mm-hmm. Like like segregated, you mean? Or um not necessarily segregated,
1: but just in terms of the uh, cultural makeup and the racial makeup of the town. Um uh, we lived in an all black, um little like a small one road town. Um on my maternal mother's grandmother's side and then on my paternal grandmother's side, she lived in a little bit more mixed community, but it was only um uh, primarily black people and white people, there was no diversification of seeing folks who were of Asian descent or seeing folks who were of uh, Latin dis- Latin American descent or uh, Latinx or Hispanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just didn't see that when I was there. But mm-hmm. when I was here in Delaware, I saw all of that because those were my friends.
0: Yeah. And one of the words you used was bridge. Yes. Like, that you bridged these two worlds. And I'm wondering, like, this richness that you inherited. I'm appreciating, as I'm listening to you, how you're holding both with such appreciation, right? It feels like, yeah, there might have been challenges, but you really experienced the riches of each place.
1: Yes, and I am deeply grateful for the experiences of each place, because I think it kind of gave me a a broader world view, and kind of rounded things out for me very nicely, just in terms of looking at the person, I, I'm a humanistic psychologist, so I'm looking at the whole person and not just picking out different characteristics of people. And so I think from that experience, that's why I'm so much drawn to you know, humanistic psychology as well as transpersonal psychology, which, which deals more... With the spirit or the the um the soul or however you know folks want to call call it the the higher level self,
0: yeah, so this learning that you did so early you you're able to bring it into your work now
1: and, and that speaks to the bridge that I was talking about, and also to what I was saying about receiving a message or yeah, receiving a message for a future time. Like I didn't know that all of those experiences would culminate into what I'm doing right now in my work. And there, for me, there's no separation between who I am as a person and my work. Um, It's really who I am and what I do because I believe in it so deeply, just in terms of how I approach people and how I approach relationships Every relationship or interaction that I have with a person, I view it as a spiritual interaction. Like our spirits are dancing, doing this kind of back and forth and you know, dance together. As we, even if it's a brief interaction, it's still the same for me. It's like you know, there's some intertwining that, that happens in order for that connection to, you know, sustain itself. And it, even however brief, still leaves an imprint.
0: Yeah, I sense that sort of in how you even kind of take in questions and kind of you kind of like move and and it feels like you settle a little bit and take in a question and then respond. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that there's kind of almost a listening that happens.
1: It's funny that you point that out because for me, when I think about it, it's kind of like I I need to process quicker or process more, but this is how I do it. This is who I am. I've always been this kind of, um, like I said, kind of uh, introverted and embodied type of person. And and I like to process things before I respond because I wanna make sure that I'm receiving everything that you say before I respond. And so um, when people talk about communication, right? for, For example, if I were working with folks around communication, I always focus more on the listening part of communication than the speaking part of communication. Because without the listening, we we miss a lot because we're forming our answer, right? Um, And if if I'm busy forming my answer to what you're saying, I'm missing some of the verbal cues as well as the the physical cues, the nonverbal cues that you're giving because I'm in my head thinking about my comeback.
0: That actually reminds me a lot of my experience of Native American culture. I lived in New Mexico for a time. The Navajo people that I interacted with, you know, sometimes in school, they wouldn't talk because they were, because other people would talk Mm -hmm. immediately. And those students were taught culturally to take in and Mm -hmm. to allow a pause before responding. It just seems like it's a better way of doing it, doesn't it? (laughs) It does. It's like, I mean,
1: fully make sure I understand and I'm taking in all of the information and you know, give an informed response, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And if something's coming up for me, don't speak necessarily out of that. Own that, right? If we're talking about a coaching someone in communication when when it might be a conflict situation how right. often that accelerated immediate response can be um toxic and lead to right. escalation whereas if we can if we can practice a slowing down and listening and really hearing we might breathe a little bit <laughs> We might find a little space <laughs> between our defensive n- response and exactly <laughs> and, and what we want to say. Be yes. intentional. Yeah. We appreciate that. And how did you find dance therapy? Like what was your route towards dance and towards the spiritual dance that you love? So
1: <laughs> this is so funny. I tell people, that I'm a psychologist who just happens to know how to dance. Uh, I am totally not one of these people who have been in dance classes since I was three. My very first like formal dance class was when I was an undergrad. <laughs> you know how you have the electives that you have to take to kind of round out you know, your syllabus or round out your educational experience. And so I took the dance classes as my electives and I loved it. I was a psychology major in undergrad. Um, yeah, and I've always loved to dance. Like I remember, even in high school, uh, my friends and I would like make up dances to you know different songs, and and I was um, a roller skater, so we would every Saturday go to the roller skating ring. We would make up like movements for the roller skating routines, and so it was, it was like always something. Um, and I was a cheerleader, so the movement has always been there, but nothing formal in terms of dance until I was an undergrad. And then after that, I was working for the state of Delaware and the Child Protective Services. And every year we had to attend the training um, for, you know, um, just in terms of of making sure that we had the latest information and we stayed up on things because we were working with children and their families. And I remember going to the Summer Institute training and there was a dance movement therapist there giving a workshop. And I'm like, shut the front door. <laughs> <laughs> Actual thing, right? <laughs> so like I said, I've always loved to dance and move and but I'm passionate about psychology. So I'm speaking to this person and, and he was telling me about his dance movement therapy journey and he had gone to Drexel and he's telling me about it. So immediately when I went home I'm looking it up and I'm like, Oh my goodness So I applied to Drexel you know, it's the closest school to me. Um at the time I was already I went back to school when I was 30 for my master's degree, so I was already working and, you know, had responsibilities and things, and so I, you yeah, know, commuted back and forth to Drexel, and that's that was my dance movement therapy introduction and path, and so right from there, I kept on, while I was in study mode, I kept on to towards my PhD in clinical psychology, so that's why my, my running joke is I'm the psychologist who knows how to dance, <laughs> not, not you know, the dancer who studied psychology and dance movement therapy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that. So it makes it, it might make it more accessible if someone is not a dancer trained. Um, This this field can be for them, too. There's exactly. space enough in the field if you just like to boogie. Right. Right.
1: Like incorporate everything you do into, you know, who you are. Um, But actually one one thing really stands out for me on my journey, which is why I'm so happy to have found dance um dance movement therapies. When I was an undergrad, like I said, I was a psychology major, but I minored in education. And so as an education minor I would do substitute teaching to get some experience. And I remember I had um, one little girl in my class um, who needed a professional, which is like a one-on-one. And so I ended up being her paraprofessional. We worked one-on-one together because she had so much going on in her family that, you know, it was overwhelming her in school. So she couldn't focus, couldn't concentrate. She was falling asleep. And so mm-hmm. I set up her school day and part of our school day and worked together with her, I would turn on some music and we would dance. <laughs> I had no idea. That's that's why when I, you know, stumbled across this person who was doing a workshop, you know, at the, the conference and said, dance movement therapy, I was, like, I was just doing that with this student in the classroom. And I had no idea that it was like an actual thing.
2: Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
1: And just remembering how that really helped that little girl to really, you know, focus and improve her studies and improve her grades. And I saw her probably like two years later, just out and about in the town. And she was like, "Miss Angela, Miss Angela, thank you so much. Those are like so rare that you see the progress of the seed that you plant. And so seeing her was like, wow.
0: Beautiful. So there was, you were, you were like tuned into the power of this work before you pursued it as a profession. Yes, you you were engaging with this young girl and knew she needed to move her body, and you set it up so that that was part of the part of the day. There was something within you that was that understood how essential that was. Yes, and and like
1: again, one of those intuitive things, like take a radio in and play some music and just have some time where the two of you just dance. (laughs) I was <laughs> <I'm> like, okay. <laughs> so one of the times we're listening to the intuitive voice pays off, and you know,
0: so it, it led
1: me to dance movement therapy.
0: Did you concurrently do your dance therapy degree and your degree in psychology, your PhD? No, they were separate. Uh, my my
1: experience with uh, with a young young girl was during my undergrad years when I was a, a studying psychology and education. And then I worked for about seven years um, before I encountered the person who was a dance therapist. And I entered yeah, I entered the program when I was 30 years old. I had been working already in the mental health field. I was um, like a supervisor or a group home manager. So I was working with folks who were straight out of the state hospital during that whole time where they were downsizing the state hospitals and kind of um, trying to integrate folks back into the community. So I ran some of the group homes where people were coming straight out of the state hospital and kind of integrating them back into society and helping them,
2: you know,
1: have some normalcy in their life and not be stuck in the in the institution of the state hospital. So I had done that for like seven years before I even had gone back to school for my master's in dance movement therapy. And then after I graduated from Drexel with my creative arts therapy way is when I went into my PhD program.
0: Yeah. And so you have your own business, just like your paternal grandma, <laughs> <laughs> CEO, just like she was CEO. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Could you describe how it kind of like integrates all these parts, the spiritual, the cultural, the entrepreneurial, the um, educational? Mm-hmm.
1: aspects so, sure I've been full-time private practice for about 12 years now and it, and it just took off because I, I do integrate you know dance movement therapy I integrate you know some music some meditation and, and so really kind of focusing on grounding and centering and and I deal with mainly folks who have um, issues with stress I get a lot of work-related stress uh, referrals because I'm in Delaware and Delaware is kind of a hub for a lot of the big corporations because we're tax-free state. There so are a lot of headquarters are, are based here. And um then I linked up with a um, medical doctor, primary care physician, and he was sending me so many people just filled up my practice really quickly. And so my niche actually for my work is stress management
0: which was kind of what you were doing with that girl, right? <laughs> exactly,
1: stress management. I'm telling you, these threads are like like a tapestry. It's like weaving itself, you know? So that's why I look at, you know, the dance of my life as being choreographed through rhythm and, you know, music and dance. And Because when I look at the things that I've done up until this point, they're all moving together and leading up to where I am now and even beyond.
0: There's an order and a beauty to the to the dance of your life as it goes.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely,
1: and I, and I absolutely love working with the folks that I meet in my practice. I'm like when I first encounter a client, um, they're typically overwhelmed, and they're stressed out, um, and the stress has started to affect their their physical health and well being. So they may have you know hair loss, weight gain, weight loss, body aches, different ways that the stress is manifesting. So just from doing a quick scan of their body and their posturing or the way um, they're holding themselves or holding patterns, um, they're, they're all clues that prompt me to ask my initial question, which is what will your life be like once the stress you feel is diminished? And right away, it's kind of like, You mean I don't have to live like this? I don't have to live stressed out and tense and headaches and backaches. And and so that really lends itself to opening up a world of possibility, almost like giving them permission to be beyond where they are, or, you know, giving them permission to give themselves permission to release all of that stress and, and really focus on what they really want to do and who they really want to be.
0: Mm. Yeah, and it sounds like empowering them to take a step to to step out of the pressure.
1: Right, right.
0: That they're under mm-hmm. ha- have some have some relief and start to think, imagine what what they want.
1: Right, and as adults, I, I primarily work with adults. And as adults, we, we don't have that luxury because a lot of times what I see is that, you know, folks are disconnected. As adults, we're still in our head, like, you know, I have to make sure I'm working. I have to pay the bills. I have to take care of my family. I, like, so we have a whole list of to-dos in our head and we're disconnected from our body, but our body is screaming, pay attention to me. And so that's why, you know, the, the stress is manifesting on a physical level because of the disconnect that's happening. And so when I'm working with somebody, helping them to make that reconnection, you know, to be fully integrated, you know, mentally, physically, and spiritually, it, it really opens up a world of possibility for them. And I've had folks like by the time we're finished our work together or or um embarking on closure of our time together, They've changed careers a lot of people. It's like, I don't want to go back to that job. I want to do this now. You know, some people have written books and so it kind of opens up the, the flow of creativity and possibility for them.
0: When you when you help make a little space from the stress, then the person can start to be creative and that connects them to their spirit, their spirituality. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And like I said, the The essence of who they are even if they don't call it spirit if if they say the energy or the essence of who they are their higher higher self i mean that to help bridge the gap or to kind of mend the tear or even just sometimes it's a refocusing on that part that's been neglected
0: Mm -hmm. so you might not um You might not explicitly say spirituality, but that's what you're kind of working with.
1: Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, as a practice, I I really don't bring up spirituality unless the person brings it up first. So I don't want to feel like I'm imposing my beliefs or my thoughts onto them.
0: Mm -hmm. You just let it. Let it be in the, um, not the explicit, but in the implicit way with which you engage with people in your life. Right,
1: it's just organic.
0: And uh, so from here, from now, what are you dreaming of? What is your, what's your vision for the coming years? Um, Let's see. For me, I think my
1: my vision for the future or for the coming years, um, and, and like I said, I am not one that separates my personal from my career. And so I show up fully as me all the time. My vision for my future and also as president-elect of the ADTA is one and the same because I, I see that as part of my mission and where I am right now in my life, really to increase awareness regarding the benefits um, of the intuitive and the kinesthetic listening to the body's wisdom and as a daily practice Um, it's really about serving serving our bodies serving you know the full integration of self and and as a constant reminder that the mind the body and the spirit that whole alignment is crucial to our overall well-being Um, and like i was saying it's it's an evolutionary journey we're not going to start today and wake up tomorrow and it's going to be a complete journey or a complete cycle. It's a process that's going to evolve, you know, day by day. Um And, and it's the working through it, I think, is the be- beautiful part of it and allowing room for flexibility and detours and, you know, errors to happen because nothing is going to be streamlined and perfect. They're going to be you know, twists and turns and winding rolls and hills and valleys and, and embracing all of those, um, those environmental shifts and changes in climate and temperature, I, I think is what makes us all stronger. And as, as, as an organization uh, like the ADTA is what makes us stronger is not ignoring the things that don't feel so good but paying a little bit more attention to it and nurturing it a little bit more so that you know we strengthen that part that's maybe a little rough right now so that that's pretty much where my thinking is anyway.
0: Mhm. Yeah, congratulations on that honor of being the president elect. So Thank exciting. You. So you have a vision for the ADTA to 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 lead it sounded like you you put in so many um, images of nature. <laughs> Bring a little nature into the 80s. <laughs> yes. Some, some, <laughs> some hills and valleys and trees and courage to look at things that are uncomfortable. Yes. And flexibility and, and the ability to um, find our way and know that we're going to make mistakes on the way and remain committed to one another.
1: Yes, absolutely. And and know that it's all okay. All of it's okay. Um, And we'll be stronger on the other side Or paying attention to, you know, all of the idiosyncrasies of who we are right now on the road to where we want to be as an organization. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And that that sense that it's all okay and it's all going to be okay mm-hmm. as we move in this, where does that come from for you? I have
1: had uh, very, very uh, hard blows, especially within the last two years um, and I'm still here and I'm okay uh, for, uh, just to give you a, a quick synopsis of my last two years on a personal level. But like I said, I don't separate any of those things. Um, my husband of uh, eight months passed away suddenly in his sleep. So, you know, dealing with not being able to have a one year anniversary and not being able to celebrate or to live out our life goals and travel and do all of the things that we planned out was a life blow at the same time that it was a life lesson because something beautiful blossomed from that for me um, career-wise. And so looking at everything as what am I supposed to learn from this, even through being angry at God, which I was, this is not what I envisioned my life to be. But out of that, um, like my girlfriends from like kindergarten all the way up through graduate school, like flocked to me and really took great care of me and I uh, reconnected with folks I hadn't seen in years. And from that, I started uh, what I call the girlfriend retreat, where I talk about honoring relationships with the women in our lives and making sure that we're talking to the right girlfriend for the right reason, because everybody serves a purpose. And so we want to make sure that we're talking to the person who's uh, on that assignment in our lives to serve that purpose or to fill that gap for us. So I'm not going to talk to my girlfriend, my shopping girlfriend or my shopping buddy about really serious, heavy things because that's not what she's there for. We go shopping, we have a good time, we take our minds off of things. We're not there to talk about stuff that's really deep and heavy. And so paying attention to those things and that's what I learned from his death. It's like, wow, relationships are are really, really vital. Um, Even though on, on a surface level, I know that. But that just kind of deepened that for me, um, and then right after that, probably maybe a year after that, is when my maternal grandmother passed away. And like I said, I, I learned great life lessons from her and growing up. And so, you know, being the oldest grandchild on my mother's side, it was like that was my mom. Like, oh my goodness, because you know that's how close you know we, we were. And so losing her was like another blow. And, Probably five months later, my father passed away. So this last two years, those last couple of years for me have been like a whirlwind of losses and gains, losses and gains. And like I said, I'm still here. I'm still moving forward and not taking any of it for granted. So that's why I say, you know, it's going to be okay. You know, we, we really have to focus on what am I supposed to learn from this experience? And how can it make me stronger? How can I serve more people? How can I be of service?
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm so sorry for those losses. Thank
1: you. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Layering on top of that COVID. Right. We've, yeah. we've yeah. all. And that's
1: another devastation.
0: Mm-hmm. And the, the death of George Floyd. Yes. You know, We have all of these things, I think, as a culture as a community of the ADTA that we're we're facing and that question is a really beautiful one of like how are we going to respond and learn and grow and Mm -hmm. move forward Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and like there's always a lesson to learn like even with the whole devastation of, of COVID the devastation of watching, you know, George Floyd's murder on national television and hearing about Breonna Taylor's murder. And so all of these things bring up a lot of emotion for a lot of people. Um, And so how do we use these to be stronger? How do we use these to move closer together versus allowing these things to divide us and we all go and hide in our houses? And, and so I, I look at it as, you know, a coming out in order to come together.
0: Inviting people to come out, mm-hmm. come out together. We might yeah. have to wear masks, but. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> I love that invitation because so with, with all, with a lot of these things, people do tend to condense around or contract away mm-hmm. from one another mm-hmm. the beautiful call a beautiful invitation to come together yeah
1: sorry. I think it's the universe's way of saying to us okay I'm going to shake everything that you know as normal I'm going to shake that all up <laughs> and now you need to level the playing field and we all you know start from zero and move forward together."
0: Thank you so much. I'm so yeah. grateful for you and all your your stories and um, your life tapestry.
1: Well, thank you. It's been such an honor talking with you today.
0: Is there anything that I haven't asked that you would like me to? Um, let's
1: see. I can just end with the closing, closing thoughts. Um, just on embodiment in general for me as it relates to well-being. I look at it as a source or a measure of authenticity, right? Which is what we were just talking about Um, and how closely we're walking on or near our purpose-driven path. Is the dance that we're engaging in fulfilling us? um, Are we representing who we are at our core? And so these are some questions that Are great to ponder on from time to time when we steal away some quiet time to kind of just sit and be. And and that's the beauty of, I think, talking about embodiment or being embodied, being an embodied person is really taking the time to nurture self. Peace of mind is priceless. And so protecting my peace, you know, at all costs helps me to be a better person and helps me to be present to be able to do what I need to do with my clients every day and also with my family. Yeah. The same yeah. as for self-care.
0: A lot of us who were taught that protecting and prioritizing peace of mind was either not necessary or selfish or indulgent mm-hmm. and Then I hear you saying no no <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: crucial to overall well-being.
0: I'm going back in my mind to the little girl that you danced with, because that's sort of what you are teaching in those dance mm. moments, right? That your joy matters, mm-hmm. that your embodied experience matters, that having playful time and free movement time and connection time that feels good and peaceful is sort of a birthright.
2: Yes.
1: Well, dance woman therapy in general is about letting the person that you're working with know that I see you. You know, we we all want to be seen and we want to be heard. You know, if you've ever been around children who are like two with one between one and three years old, that's when they're in like the peekaboo stuff like, do you see me? Do you see me? And so they're constantly looking for that attention of wanting to be seen. And I don't think we ever lose that. We're always wanting to be seen and wanting to be heard. And so dance from therapy lends itself beautifully to being, you know, witness and observer to another person's process.
0: Embodiment can be something that's collective, that's communal, and it can also be something that's private and individual.
1: Exactly. Whatever level of need you find yourself, you know, craving whether it's that individual time or the more communal group experience it's it's all available
0: Mm -hmm. and it reminds me of the work you're doing with the girlfriend weekend Mm -hmm. that you know that that longing for connection with someone and for there to be different parts of us that are fed from different relationships and that's part of tuning into our embodiment of, oh, I really got to talk to so-and-so because she'll understand. Right. Or I really just need to go shopping right now. So I'm going to call back.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> just knowing, uh, tuning into what those relationships, um, how they nourish us. It's really nice. I was just thinking of my friends when you were... <laughs> who's my, oh, I was like, oh, she's my one who I always talk to. Hope <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Beautiful. I am so grateful for the chance to talk and I look forward to seeing um, and experiencing you as the um, president of the ABTA. Thank
1: you. I'm excited about the role and the opportunity and just all of the wonderful people that I get to work with and, you know, share space with. So that's exciting to me.
0: We're lucky to have you. (laughs) (laughs) Get us all together and dancing. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time. So good.
1: Thank you again for reaching out and the opportunity to be on your podcast. This this has been a lovely, lovely conversation.
0: I'm so honored. Thank you to Angela Grayson for her authenticity, genuineness, and humor, she's such a wonderful laugh that is contagious and enlivening. And thank you to Josie Rothwell for the opening credits and Erin Kate Dunnick for the closing credits. And thank you to my listener for joining me in the return to embodiment.